Chapter Three of God Goes to Murderer's Row by Reverend M. Raymond, O.C.S.O. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Most likely, I'll burn. Mrs. Penny waited until the postman had gone down the front steps before she moved from behind the protecting overdrapes. It was not like her to hide or let the postman pass without a greeting, but she did not feel up to meeting anyone just yet. Perhaps tomorrow or the next day. She opened the door hastily and grabbed a little pile of letters. Quickly she closed the door and stood breathing heavily in the hall. But there was something more than the fear of neighbors that set her heart pounding now. There on the very top of the pile was the bold, graceful sweep of a handwriting she loved to see, and a handwriting she now dreaded to read. Staring at the clear calligraphy of her own name, she suddenly found the character shimmering and herself sobbing. The bills, advertisements, and boarders' mail she placed upon the table in the hall. The one that had set her sobbing was taken to the kitchen. She felt more at home in the kitchen. Quickly she drew her rocker to the window, wiped her eyes, and polished her glasses, then opened the envelope, which was postmarked Lexington, November ninth, 1941. My darling mother, hope this finds you much better. I am okay. Just finished supper. Fried chicken, cranberry sauce, tomatoes, celery, and devil's food cake. I still have fruit and candy to go. So you see I am not suffering from lack of food. Of course, that came from outside. But the jail food is good, and plenty of it. Father Donnelly was here this afternoon. Said he came to see you Wednesday and was coming again. How do you like him? How did she like this tall man with the very white skin and the silky white hair, hair that was so thin he seemed bald? How did she like this man whose kindly blue eyes were filled with so much genuine sympathy and real understanding? Yes, he had come on Wednesday. She had not known how to greet him, but he had been so gentle and had talked so friendly about Tom that she had loved him immediately. Yes, she could tell Tom that she loved this priest who was being so good to him and to her. The white head bent over the letter again. So the boy was thinking of becoming a Catholic. She frowned. After all, it is God we are interested in, isn't it? Regardless of how I've lived, I assure you I'll die right. Mrs. Penny looked up to the ceiling. Why was the boy writing so definitely of death? Had he given up all hope? Would not the lawyers prove that he did no murder? She rose, went into her bedroom, and from their place of security took a card and two letters, then returned to her kitchen, with its better light and its rocker. The letters were unfolded when she arrived. There it was, in the very first letter he had written from jail almost three weeks before. She knew its every syllable by heart, yet she must read it again. Dear Mother, I don't know what to write to inspire you. I know you are heartbroken. However, mother, don't worry. It is not as bad as it seems. Don't believe everything that is printed in the papers. As usual, you know, they tried to convict a person before trial. I can tell you one thing that will make you feel better. I am not guilty of murder. I have definite proof of that. Liana Penny's eyes went to the window, but they saw not the bleakness of November. They saw nothing for the mother was feeling again the surge of relief that had risen from the very depth of her being the night her son, Charles, had told her the one bullet from Tom's gun had been found in such a position that it was evident he had killed neither of the Miley women. 
then why was he thinking so much of death she returned to the first letter's second page and read again those earliest hints of death please don't let it worry you mother he had written for i am ready for whatever comes she picked up the picture postcard which rested atop the second letter she glanced at its highly colored face and read the legend rock garden in cypress gardens in sunny florida then at its few words mother will write later am okay no address as yet loss of love how much more those words told her now than when she had first read them the card had arrived on october ninth it held the first word she had had from tom since the saturday morning of september twenty seventh when he told her he was going to louisville to look for work he had gone to louisville but that night he was back in lexington with baxter and bob anderson that night they had robbed the country club she read the card again and remembered now how disappointed and puzzled she had been when she first looked on the florida scene and thought her boy that far south she now stared as her eyes fell on the postmark for the first time and read delhi louisiana he had been on the run then was dodging police worried sick no doubt by newspaper accounts yet he had thought of her had managed to allay suspicions and banish fears he had reason to close with lots of love the mother looked at the card and knew that no volume could tell the complete story held in this little two-cent postcard but how soon the comfort it brought had vanished that very evening the papers had told of tom's capture at fort worth quickly she unfolded the second letter that lay on her lap it was dated october twenty fourth father donnelly came to see me friday night sent me some books everyone has been so nice lorraine and edith sent me a carton of cigarettes jean sent me four packs everyone wants to know if there's anything they can do for me but no one can do what i want done stop you from worrying as she wept quietly she forgot what he had said about becoming a catholic and the remembrance of his filial love but there was one who could not forget and he was on his way to lexington from covington that very moment father george donnelly was driving rapidly and thinking faster than he was driving he was living over again the events of the day he had first met tom penny friday october twenty third he had offered mass at st joseph's hospital on that morning listened to sister mary laurentia's account of her meeting with tom as she led him to mrs price's room sister's reaction to the man had impressed him they had hardly greeted mrs price when her phone rang it was the chief who wanted to tell of a letter he had just received from the prisoner i never saw austin like this before his wife had said he has tom penny on the brain he couldn't worry any more if the man were his own son i don't understand it neither did the priest he had visited the chief the night before and found him glum it was only by solemnly promising to visit the prisoner that father george had been able to bring anything like peace to price's mind and a semblance of cheer to his countenance that afternoon despite the elation evident in the call of the morning the priest found the chief more disturbed than ever for he had sent two of the local pastors to visit penny and nothing had come of the interviews then why should i trouble the poor fellow father george had asked if these two good fathers could do nothing with him what chance have i i have nothing more to offer the chief had thumped his desk and said if you are my friend go you're different from those two maybe he'll open up to you 
Father George went, but after forty-five minutes with Tom Penny, he was quite convinced that the man would never open up to anyone. Not once had the cold, grey-blue eyes been off him. There was suspicion in their steady stare, and Father George thought he detected antagonism also, but he did not know just what Tom Penny was thinking. When summoned, the prisoner had cursed under his breath, thinking it was some curiosity-seeker, but as he ambled along the corridor, he felt a vague hope arise. It might possibly be some friend. When he saw it was a priest, he knew a little anger. This was the third sky pilot today. He hadn't cared for either of the others. They did not have what he wanted. This one would hardly be different. But from the first quiet word and the warm handshake, Tom Penny knew he was different. This man was genuinely friendly, no veneer just man to man. Penny had repeated his name. Donnelly, eh? And said, Good of price, when the priest told him the chief had sent him. When invited to sit, the prisoner had refused. Been sitting all day. After that, he had said little more than, Yeah, uh-huh, and, Is that a fact? As the priest talked on everything that could interest a man, except the one thing Tom Penny expected from him, he brought up the late World Series between the Dodgers and the Yanks. At any other time and in any other place, Tom Penny would have made a lively conversation out of what was now little more than a monologue, especially when the priest expressed sympathy with the Dodgers for losing a game, which they already had won when the catcher dropped the third strike on the third out in the ninth inning. Tough, all right, was all that Penny offered now. So the priest had gone on to the war. Tom wondered whether this Father Donnelly was a diplomat, an expert psychologist, a clever salesman, or something of that sort, as he spoke of the Nazi drive on Moscow, and predicted their repulse by Russia's winter, rather than by Russia's army, then recounted Napoleon's defeat on the same terrain, by the same unconquerable force. "'Such little things can cause such great disasters,' said the priest. "'Think of it. Just tiny snowflakes falling from a Russian sky,' defeated the greatest military strategist history has ever known. Then, as if mesmerized by the paradox, the priest went on to tell how tiny raindrops were the ultimate cause of a catastrophe Tom had heard about when a very small boy, the sinking of the Titanic. As the priest went on with other examples of little things causing great disaster, Tom was expecting him to end with, And a tiny traffic light was your great undoing, or... The tiny pressure of a finger on a trigger can bring terrible trouble. But to his surprise and relief, the priest has said, But tiny things can cause great triumphs, too, Tom. St. Peter was converted by a look, St. Augustine by the voice of a little girl. The Battle of Marengo turned on a drummer's boy, not knowing how to beat retreat. You remember the story of the English king who watched the spider? Try, try again, don't you? Uh-huh, was the only comment Penny supplied. It was not very heartening, but Father George was determined to keep his promise to Price and do his utmost. He talked of the little thing that had turned the tide in the Duke-Colgate football game a few days previously, of the Kentucky Wildcats' 21-6 victory over Xavier, discussed teams in the Southern Conference, and ended by saying that centers praying colonels needed another Bo McMillan. Tom agreed, but that was all he offered to the attempted conversation. So Father George came closer home. Are they feeding you well, Tom? 
Okay. Have you plenty of cigarettes? Uh-huh. Do the guards allow you papers? Oh, yeah. Father George arose. His watch told him he had been three-quarters of an hour with this man. His head told him he had accomplished nothing. His heart told him he must break through this cold steel of reserve behind which the man hid himself, if he were ever to do Tom Penny any good. But how to do that, he did not know. Well, Tom, I'd love to be able to help you. Is there anything I can do? Anything that I can send in? Nah, nothing. I've got to be going, Tom. Just remember I'll always be praying for you, and if there is anything... The priest held out his hand. Tom Penny did not take it. He was still staring at the priest, with eyes that bored like blue flame. The priest did not know exactly what to do or what to expect. What happened was the last thing he could have expected after the experience of the past forty-five minutes. Will you sit down a few more minutes, Father? The priest sat. I'm in a tight spot. I want to talk to you about religion. Most likely I'll burn for these murders. I haven't lived right. I want to die right. I want to die a Catholic. Tom Penny sat on the edge of a chair and bent toward a priest whose heart was doing very odd things. I don't know much about your religion. I ran around with a gang of kids who were Catholics when I was young. I used to sit in the back of the church while they went to confessions on Saturday afternoon. When I was at Frankfurt, we had to attend chapel. I chose the Catholic service, but I didn't know what it was all about. The prisoner paused. The priest found his eyes not exactly friendly, but the piercing gleam had left them. He bent forward and smiled. Okay, Tom, I think I can fix it so that you can receive instructions. What do you mean, with Chief Price? I wasn't thinking of him, Tom. I don't imagine there'll be any difficulty there. I was thinking of one of the local priests, Father Sullivan, perhaps. Oh, said Penny in a rose. There was both finality and disappointment in his tone. If you can't do it, forget it. But, Tom, I'm stationed in Covington. That's eighty miles away. Oh, I didn't know. That's okay. We'll forget it. Oh, no, Tom. I'll get Father Sullivan, or... If you can't do it, Father, I don't want anyone to do it. Father George put out his hand. Penny took it. If that's the way you feel, Tom, I'll do it. I'll fix it with the pastor here and my own boss. I'll be happy to do it. The priest felt the crushing grip of the prisoner's hand and tried to return the pressure as well as he could. I was talking with sisters Mary Laurentia and Robert Ann this morning. They told me about their visit. They are praying for you, Tom. I wonder, Father, said the prisoner slowly, I wonder if they would ever come back. Oh, I think so, Tom. I'll speak to them. Will you? What did you say their names were? Sister Mary Laurentia is the older nun. Sister Robert Ann, the other one. Mary Laurentia and Robert Ann, repeated the prisoner. Well, Tom, I'll be running along now. I may send you a book or two as soon as I get home. You can look for me early next week. They parted. The priest's heart was singing. How strange, O oh God, are thy ways. And he went back to his cell, feeling happier than he had felt since September 27th. 
the very next day a special delivery package arrived at the jail tom opened it with mounting curiosity there was no return address but as soon as he glimpsed the title he knew the source of the present father smith instructs jackson was on the outside while the fly-leaf held the message you be jackson i'll be father smith best of luck and god's special blessings father george while now taking a turn on the road father donnelly recalled rapidly the five visits he had managed to east short street those first two weeks and admitted he had received almost as many revelations as he had given to tom penny on the very first visit father george saw that he would not instruct tom penny half as much as tom penny would instruct him the prisoner had read the first part of father smith instructs jackson not only with a mind that was open but with one that closed as chesterton says every open mind should close like an open mouth over something solid and substantial tom had many questions to ask but they were questions that showed he read and reflected had assimilated much and was now looking for amplification rather than elucidation it all fits so perfectly he had said the day they talked of creation of the purpose god had in mind when he made man when he made tom penny when the matter of the natural law came up the prisoner said anyone who denies the voice of conscience has not ears like mine father i always knew when i did wrong i believe everybody does but you see we defend ourselves we excuse ourselves we blame society then with a frown he added and we have some truth in our claim a man with a record is outside the pale look at me just before this final trouble i tried to get a taxi license i was denied it because the police had my fingerprints if i had gotten that license you would not be sitting here today then with a quick laugh he had concluded maybe that wouldn't have been so good for me at that father now i think i have a chance to save my soul i believe father george i believe this catholic explanation is so simple yet so all-inclusive it satisfies it leaves out nothing not even my tendency to sin as father george now threaded through lexington traffic he was asking himself the question he had asked after every contact with tom penny what had this man done to win such graces or who was winning them for him it might possibly be his mother's prayers he would have attributed them to the nuns but he considered the nuns and their apostolic interest in the man as one of his greatest graces he smiled now as he thought of sister robert ann's discussion of her first visit oh father she had said when i heard the click of the key that first day my heart jumped a nun alone with a murderer alone wasn't sister mary laurentia with you yes but there were only three chairs she took the one nearest the door and tom sat facing me so it was almost the same as if he and i were alone in the cell cell oh i know they call it the visitor's room but it has an iron grating on the door and they lock you in so it's a cell to me but as soon as tom starts talking i forget where we are he has the heart of a child father as he stopped for a traffic light father george thought in irritation of the man who a few days ago had more than hinted he would be using much better judgment if he stayed away from fayette county jail and the miley murderers the priest frowned now as he had then why would people so misunderstand he wondered why would they forget that christ had come for sinners 
when would they remember that he ate with them drank with them and died with two as company on a hill the more he thought of it the more his puzzlement and indignation grew when would these self-complacent ones realize the truth abraham lincoln expressed when a better-than-thou congressman looked his condemnation at a staggering inebriate there but for the grace of god goes abraham lincoln the president had said but father george felt sure that the congressman missed the wisdom in the remark just as so many millions have missed the wisdom and truth in st augustine's query if these men and women can reach such heights of sanctity why not i when would these moderns but then father george caught himself he was really growing hot under the collar and a man who wears a roman collar must never do that he shook his head though as he remembered the man who had told him he might be jeopardizing the fair name of the catholic church by his visits to tom penny gosh exclaimed the priest as he swung his car into the hospital drive i wish these people would read the hound of heaven and realize that god will follow us down the nights and down the days until he catches up with us even if it takes him to a prison cell he smiled as he locked his car and quietly reminded himself that people who talk to themselves this way end up in hospitals different from st joseph's the grapevine had gone to work before he climbed out of his car so it was not to be wondered at that sisters mary laurentia and robert ann were in his room almost before he hung up his coat why is tom so sure he'll die father came the somewhat petulant query from sister robert ann tell her father she won't face facts but what do his lawyers say father george shook his head i haven't spoken with them sister but from what tom tells me they do not seem very hopeful but the only bullet from tom's gun was found in the floor i know it sister he is very happy that he is not a murderer and doubly happy to be able to tell his mother so by the way have you two visited her yet oh indeed said sister mary laurentia for her sake i wish those lawyers could do something sentiment is too high sister said the priest sadly the papers have played this thing up in such a way that i don't see how it will be possible to get an unprejudiced jury of course it was a brutal thing we can't deny that i'm afraid tom has very little chance i wonder if there isn't something we could do i'm thinking sisters said father george carefully but i'm not worrying god's hand has been so palpable in this entire affair that i am positive everything is going to work out for the best just look how each of us came into the case i had no right to come back from gethsemane through lexington you sister mary laurentia in a way had no right to be in st joseph hospital the time your sister was ill you were a schoolteacher originally you sister robert ann are an instructor of nurses not a nursing nun yet you two were in mrs price's room when austin arrived then think of god bringing jackie regan all the way from seattle all these are parts of the puzzle each fits in to complete the picture we have been like pawns on god's chessboard or even like puppets who move to the jerk of the string in his hand it's marvelous that's why i don't worry even though i do think carefully why even the questions tom asks and the answers that pop into my head seem to me to be heaven sent that man is farther along after half a dozen instructions than most people are after half a year it is that fact which makes me believe his time on earth is short 
But look, Father, put in Sister Mary Laurentia slowly, Tom has turned state's evidence. Isn't there a possibility that he may get life instead of the chair? Father George's eyes narrowed. Have you ever mentioned that to that brother-in-law of yours? The nun shook her head. Austin is the one man who could answer it, sister. I must confess I had thought of it. In fact, I mentioned it to Tom and tried to get him to use it in order to cheer up his mother. His answer was, I'm not going to kid myself, father. Neither will I kid my mother. If we expect the worst and get something better, our joy will be all the greater. The chief told me down in Texas that he could offer nothing. Maupin, Harrigan, and the other one, Gravit, said the same thing here. So I don't expect anything from the state. But I'm going to go through 100%. Why? broke in Sister Mary Laurentia. The very question I asked him, sister. Can you guess the answer? I can, said Sister Robert Ann. Sister Robert Ann said happily, he knows now what it means to please God. Close enough, sister. He said he was never going to offend God again, that he had enough on his conscience already without adding so much as a little white lie. Isn't it wonderful to watch a man's soul grow? And humiliating, sister. Tom Penny is still only a catechumen. He is not a Catholic as yet. But how many Catholics, how many priests, how many religious are striving for perfection as he is? Sister Mary Laurentia laughed lightly. Just like you to talk of striving for perfection. But will you talk to the chief about that state's evidence angle? I had planned to, sister, but it's a delicate subject. This town is in an angry mood against Anderson, Baxter, and Penny. So angry that I feel sure we shall see a perfect exemplification of summum juice, summa injuria. What in the world does that mean? asked Sister Robert Ann. It means, sister, that the law will be applied in all its rigor. Baxter, you know, wasn't even in the club. Tom's gun went off, but his bullet killed nobody. Yet all three men will probably die. One for the actual murders, the other two as accomplices. It's the law. But doesn't State's evidence always get a reward? Usually, sister, but as I said, feeling is too high. Tom knows that. He keeps saying, most likely I'll burn. Well, I'm going to pray that he won't, came the determined and somewhat defiant reply from Sister Robert Ann. We'll be with you, sister said father george softly in the meantime you speak to the chief i shall sister but you know my immediate concern is bringing tom penny to birth by baptism rather than to death by the chair or to life imprisonment but tell me isn't it time for the trays the two nuns laughed don't worry about trays your place is all set in the priest's dining room you were spotted before you got out of your car you nuns ought to teach the detectives your technique. Nothing escapes your eyes. End of chapter 3